Welcome back to Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. This is Amy Pons. I'm a master certified life coach and a soul awakener. I'm joined today with Melanie Bonk. Melanie Bonk is a trauma-informed, certified love, sex, and relationship coach, somatic healer, tantric mystic, wife, mama to four primal boys, and a nature junkie. She's on a mission to bring more play, passion, and pleasure into your everyday lives. Her family has been plagued by divorce for generation after generation. When she and her husband came together 24 years ago, she started diving into the science behind thriving relationships that endure the test of time. She gently guides her clients into removing blockages, stories, and imprints that keep our pleasure small. She believes that when you give yourself pleasure, you give yourself power and that full body, head to toe, orgasms are available to all of us. In fact, it's your birthright. Yes. Hello, hello. Hey, welcome, Melanie. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you. We met recently for the first time Mm -hmm. at a a, a fabulous women's networking and your tagline floored me. What is it? I am here to help you bonk better. (laughs) And yes, bonk is my last name. And in fact, I was also born on Valentine's Day. So it is like my destined to do this work in the world. Have you always talked about bonking? Uh, Yes, yes. If anybody's had a conversation with me for more than I would say 90 seconds, it comes up. Before you were a bonk? Yes, before I was a bonk. It's just been in my blood. It's been in my DNA. And it's really funny, actually, that you mentioned that. I found, I think, like my sophomore year yearbook and all the signatures, front and back, all the sides are all my friends talking to me about relationships. (laughs) So I just had this like natural calling forever. Perfect. How aligned. That must feel gorgeous. So Mm -hmm. tell me about your work. It's enticing in and of itself, but tell me more about the work that you do and the moves that you're excited to be making. Yes. Yes. Well, I am using my voice and my space holding abilities to help guide people and couples into their primal pleasure and primal pleasure. I mean, this is your birthright. It is something that is alive inside of you, whether you are connected to it or feel it or not, or even if you have consciousness of it, I am here to tell you today that that pleasure, that juiciness, that aliveness, the vibrancy inside of pleasure is available to you. And I am creating a program right now called Primal Remembrance. It is a eight week journey for women to dive into their bodies of pleasure, primarily after childbirth, after our bodies have shifted and changed. And you get to come home to the pleasure. You get to rediscover what exactly it is that pleasure even means to you as a woman and as a mother. And it's incredible. I'm so, so, so excited to share this work. Gorgeous. Quick question. Mm -hmm. Do you tap into sacral energies when you do mm-hmm. this work? Yeah. So what? Yes. Do you, was there a follow-up? <laughs> One of the things I'm curious about is my sacral has been blocked on and off forever. And one of the things that was kind of an aha moment for me recently was that I was only connecting sacral energy to sex and to orgasms. I wasn't connecting it to the place where I feel sensual or pleasure around a really great piece of food or a warm, cozy bed. I wasn't connecting those. How do you think about that? And like, do you agree with my confusion around it initially? And is that playing into kind of the work that you do and how women are taught or not taught ever about their (laughs) bodies and like how we should understand our pleasure? Yeah. 
I think the real key here is what's your definition of pleasure? So if your definition of pleasure turns into just a sexual, just down in your pelvic bowl in that energy, then that's really narrows in the view of what brings you pleasure. But when you open it up and you're like that delicious bath, the soft bedspread and the pillows, that's, that's pleasure and bringing that in and finding the sacredness in that pleasure and the sacredness in experiencing that as pleasure. I think that's the real key to turn it over because pleasure can be found anywhere. Just like looking outside at the trees, pleasure, walking with your family, pleasure, laughing, pleasure, holding a baby, pleasure. All these things create arrows, create this energy and opening up and expanding your view as to what can bring you pleasure will just bring in more pleasure. How gorgeous. Mm. I like to call them the glimmers. What about the glimmers all around us that just light us up for that millisecond and you feel that rush. For me, it's the rush through all seven chakras and it's like, hi, I'm here. So that's really beautiful. And thank you for making that connection. And I like envisioning, as you said that, my sacral energy expanding and rushing up to my solar plexus to say hi. One of the things that I asked you the first time we ever met, I said, hey, how do we help women and men understand more about the body of a woman and how we experience orgasms, knowing that on average, women have their forced orgasm, not until 24. So mm. <laughs> like, I, saw your, I saw your energy. You're like, no, hard no on the notion, not pass on the question, but the notion, the audacity that we wait till 24. And you had this exquisitely progressive answer that is one of the main reasons I wanted to invite you on. So talk to me about if you want to the evolution of a woman's orgasm. And that it's not just clicking a button and there's a lot of preheating involved. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of what you just said, uh, women not even experiencing their first orgasm to 24, like, ah, so first of all, all of us adult women right now listening to this podcast, let's go ahead and vow now to break that cycle. Let's educate our young women, our daughters, our cousins, our friends, with consent, obviously, and with respect and with honoring how to experience pleasure. For women in particular, one of the biggest gateways to pleasure is actually witnessing other women experience pleasure. If you have a group of women around you who are a little bit older and they seem like they've got their things together and they are an inspiration to you, tap into their wisdom that's where it comes from. So for me, unlocking the actual authentic sound of my pleasure, which isn't the sounds that you hear in porn or even the sounds that you hear in movies or TV. It is very guttural. It is very primal. And I even let growls come out of my body, but I didn't give myself permission to dive into that realm of intense, insane pleasure until I was shown by another woman that you could do it and that you could actually survive it because so many, almost all of us have living trauma that if we experience that kind of pleasure, that kind of freedom, it will literally mean life or death. We could have the possible chance of dying and our nervous system will not allow us to even go there. So taking that in, knowing that this is nothing that you're doing wrong, there's not something wrong with you. It is that your nervous system is clenched on so tight to your safety that it will not allow you to experience that pleasure. And then you can even get pleasurable with that. You can say nervous system. Oh my goodness. I love you. You are coding me in protection and safety. Thank you. I honor you. 
And that's the first step to really expanding your pleasure is to meet it, meet yourself, meet your nervous system, meet your body with that love and compassion. So many things, all the feels. I literally gave myself chills on that one. (laughs) I got chills. My body lit up. My spirit guide said, fuck yes. Okay. So we're going Mm -hmm. here. So two things came up to me when you said that. So one thing being a corporate veteran, so many women, one or two generations ahead of me, were always tamping down the divine feminine, especially in the workplace, especially in corporate, we were masking up to become something that we weren't. So I would get things like judgment or like, if I was wearing something they're like, don't dress like a slut. And, you know, so all mm. the, all of that damaging language. So I love what you said about like finding those safe women that are older than us and like tapping into that, because there's also this very, very stark and rigid line of when women, especially of one or two generations older hit that threshold of actually being able to be like, you know what? I'm me. And my parents aren't around to tell me what to do anymore. Whatever that looks like, they come into their own, but it's like older, but it's getting younger and younger. And at 41, I'm proud to say that I'm there. So that came up for me as from me in the corporate experience. It was like, I couldn't look to older women because they were kind of like, stay in your lane, little miss. Mm-hmm. Didn't vibe. That's one of the big reasons I'm not there anymore. And then the second thing that came up for me when you were talking was that knowing that where we are in this space and time, when we're in babies, as the baby's in the womb, we're already absorbing and embodying mom's trauma feelings, grandma's, great-grandma's, great-great-grandma's. We have all of that in us. And can you imagine picking up on those cues from women all of these generations before that didn't allow and weren't allowed? It was not safe to bring forth your sexuality or sensuality. They were judged. Let's just say they were judged for what they felt as pleasure, no matter like whether it was an orgasm or not, or sex, anything. We have all of that in us. And then when we're born from one to seven, everything that we hear and experience, we absorb as fact. So as a baby, if you say like a baby's chubby, are they chubby or are they healthy? All of that came up for me when you just talked because we already have in us Mm -hmm. all the past that was especially judgmental. Yeah. And that's the reclamation. That's the freaking beauty that you and I right now in this space and time, we get to experience and we get the reclamation for our ancestors, Mm -hmm. for our grandmothers, for our great grandmothers. So I want to take the word slut and whore and I want to own them. I'm going to, I'm going to own my slut. I'm going to own my whore. And when she is out, I'm going to let her rule the motherfucking world. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that is, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's our work. That's the work of our generation. And that's the healing. So sometimes when I have these huge orgasms, I throw out at my grandma and I'm like, grandma, that one was for you. Like that was because I know, I know you didn't get to experience this and it can make that pleasure so much more intense as well. And it makes the meaning behind it so deep. Okay. So speaking of which I want to get into a post that you recently made on Instagram and it was this amazing. And by the way, her Instagram is bonk better. Amazing. So she made this six part post. It's the six myths of sex life for married people. So six myths about a married relationship, sex life. Mm -hmm. Walk me through them. Okay. Well, our first myth is Sex is going to get boring because you're going to have to schedule it. Like scheduled sex. Oh, I hear vanilla. Like the judgment, the shame around that is vanilla, quiet, 
crickets. And it's the total opposite. If you schedule sex, you're going to begin to create that energy, that vibrant, alive eros inside of your body. And let's say it's Monday and you're going to schedule sex for Thursday. Well, you have four days to let that juiciness, that prime to talk about it with your partner. I'm so excited for our date in four days. What are you most excited about? Well, I'm most excited about for, and you, and then that's building. And then you're talking about sex. You're creating space in your relationship and your partnership to be erotic, to share fantasies. And then the, when you come together, the sex is usually that much better because there's so much energy behind it. Ooh, it is good. And I love it. And I think it's just overrated and and movies, TV, everything, they romanticize that this passionate sex is going to be spontaneous and life is life. Sometimes I'm running the kids to sports and at grocery stores. And at the end of the day, maybe that scheduled sex is the only thing that's keeping me going. <laughs> I, I love that notion because it is true that if you have to schedule it, would you mm -hmm. rather schedule it or not have it? So I think we need to remove that stigma that it's boring or that it's, I, I like how you reframed Let's do a buildup because also it takes the pressure off of when are we going to versus I don't want to right now or, you know, so, yeah. so being on the same page, I love it. Mm -hmm. And then giving yourself that permission to be like, oh, all of a sudden it is Thursday and I'm not feeling in the mood. That's okay. Being gentle with each other, giving each other space and grace all comes with it. So that's beautiful too. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you had a shit day. All right. Yeah. The second myth I went into was wedding night sex is just wild and crazy, right? No, I found a study that said only 40% of couples are actually having sex on their wedding night. And then I took a personal survey and it was closer to only a third percent. So it even went a little bit lower than that. I know we had sex on our wedding night, but it was purely to say that we had sex on our wedding night. Okay, we had sex on our wedding night and we were exhausted there was something about, we wanted to like finalize it. Like, yeah, we got married. Like, yeah, we did it, but it wasn't wild. It was like, good job on the marriage. <laughs> yeah. Ours was, I'm so freaking hungry. Let's order a pizza. Do it quick while we wait for delivery. Well, the pizza came and that was about it. Then I went into the third myth is that your spouse knows what you want. I've been married together with my husband for 24 years and there are days where I don't even know what I want. So getting rid of that notion that your partner knows what you want is going to serve you for the better. Your partner can only know what you want if you tell them. So getting a little bit of confidence in communicating, even understanding what it is that you want and you desire. Sometimes that's the first step because most of us don't even know. We know what we don't like. We know what we don't want. I know I don't want that and too much of this, but then you have to turn the narrative and be like, what do I want instead then? And getting curious with what you actually desire. I think what you just said is really important because we're assuming that we even know. And because of what we just talked about at the top was we don't even understand our bodies that well until later. I couldn't even express or communicate sometimes what to do. My husband and I keep saying like, we want to have more practice sessions, more just exploration and life gets in the way of that. So, it's, okay. Do we, do we board the pups for a night? Cause they sleep in bed with us and they're always with us how do we get to that? You know, and that's been like a, a, a very unusual and surprising blocker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it's so common. We have the same thing. One of the myths I'll talk about later on is, is that privacy. So for me, it's definitely kids, you know, kids being around, if I can hear them, that's a total buzzkill. So the privacy is a thing. So creating space, we take date nights and our date nights involve a hotel. Our kids are old enough now where we can leave them. Our oldest is 16, the plenty old enough to babysit. So we are out. 
24 hours, we check out. It doesn't happen every month. I would love it to happen every month, but often enough. And we can tell when we don't give each other that time and space, we start to get a little nitpicky. And I'm like, hey, hey, what's going on here? Oh, let me pull back and look at the big picture. Wow. It's been three weeks since we've really had any intimacy together where we've had more than 30 minutes even alone. (laughs) We have four kids. So I mean, you have to carve that out. Nobody else in life is going to put your relationship first. It has to be your priority. That's a really great point. I'm going to suggest that to my husband. I love that. Just to Paris sitter for the night, watch the pups, we'll go to a hotel. And you know, it might seem like in this world that's upside down and humanity is second or, you know, worse. It's like, does anyone want to spend money to go do that? Because I've gotten before, they're like, why don't you just close the door and let the dogs stay outside your door? They cry and they bark and they scratch. I'm yeah. like, there's nothing going to be happening. Because nope. my kids are <laughs> are just outside the door, like waiting to figure out what mom and dad are doing. So I love the idea of intentionally putting your relationship first and making those kinds of commitments. And financially, if you can't afford to go to a hotel, like just, just start wondering what it could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be a hotel. You could even spend time, take a blanket out into nature, find an area where you can just be alone and you can connect one-on-one. And that's the magic. Also a huge recommendation I have, our house is arranged. So our bedroom is on the first floor and all the boys are downstairs. So that means when we're in our bedroom, when boys are around and they want to be up in the kitchen or anything like that, I hear them. So we have an automatic, the noisemaker for when you sleep, the waves come on in the afternoon sometimes. And it drowns those little guys out. So mommy can dip into her pleasure because I can't hear them and dip into pleasure. So it's, it's finding any kind of way to squeak pleasure into your world because it makes your world so much better. Fourth sex myth that I have is sex is going to get boring. And this one was actually really, really surprising. The myth and assumption that sex is going to get boring is so freaking toxic that a 2018 study found that the narratives that people believed that their passion would decay in long-term relationship, it turned out that they were going to become self-fulfilling prophecies. So your beliefs in what your sex life is going to look like, in what your relationship is going to look like matter. And they have so much power and weight in your actual reality that if you're having those assumptions, if you're thinking that like this is where it's at and it's only going to go downhill from here, then strap in for that downhill ride. (laughs) You have to believe it, harness it, and then make it happen. Yeah. Manifest what you want too, because I think there's set intentions, manifest it and Mm -hmm. be open enough to say like, how can we judge this? And there's resources out there. There's resources like me out there who make things for date nights, who create entire packages that are just for date nights. Like I have a tantric date night where I'm going to take you through breathing and connection and intimacy activators. This isn't like go out there and do everything on your own. There are so many resources out there. So I really suggest that you go find something, look up a pleasure coach. Hey, what do you recommend? And get curious. And what you're going to do as you start to do that is create that delicious energy again. You're going to start thinking and fantasizing. And then another thing I want to invite anybody into is creating that sexual role. Like who do you want to be as a sexual person? Do you want to be a fully embodied sex goddess who uses their authentic voice? And then start to imagine what that sub-personality looks like. What do I look like if I'm going to be that person? And by look like, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to imagine how I move. I'm going to imagine how I kiss. I'm going to imagine how I laugh. 
And I'm going to imagine what I'm hearing. Oh, I'm hearing my partner. I'm hearing the sounds of sex. I'm going to go ahead and dive into what does it smell like? What does it taste like? Like give yourself a full body immersion of what you could be. And as you do that actually kicks your nervous system into a little bit of a tricksy game because your nervous system can't tell something that's really imagined in full vibrant color and reality. So if your nervous system has experienced this sex goddess embodiment with your senses, with your eyes shut down, with all of your imaginary skills, then your nervous system already says, Hey, we can experience this and we didn't die this is okay. Now I'm going to start allowing you to invite this in on a regular basis. Stepping into the ownership of it is owning your pleasure. And that's so hard, especially for women. Even I was actually just thinking about this this morning while I was getting ready for this podcast, I was looking in the mirror and I was actually sucking in my own gut while I looked in the mirror to look at myself alone in the bathroom. And I quickly am conscious of that now. 10 years ago, I wasn't conscious of it. And I would walk around with my gut sucked in all the time. Now I'm conscious of it. And I say, whoa, 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 this is not okay. Breathe and relax first. Let the beautiful belly out that has carried babies and created magic. Let my womb space be big and present and dominate my life. That permission is just, it's so built up with so much crap and shit that is uninvited that we didn't ask for. And that just gets shoved in our face. I would also invite that version of yourself that used to do it and honor her and say, Mm -hmm. thank you for coming in. We're safe now. Let me show you because we're so wired to be Mm -hmm. always thinking about the partner. And again, back to what you said, women hear us. You're not doing anything wrong. It is the hardwiring, preconditioning, the training that we've known our entire lives and even way before us. So it's it's the practice and, and not judging yourself when one of those energies comes up, but mm-hmm. saying, hey there, meet her with grace. Otherwise, it's going to be this constant battle. And then it's a whole nother thing that you have to heal. So give her light and grace and love when she comes up and say, hey there, love you. We're safe. Let me show you. So true. And that's the biggest thing is giving yourself compassion. Where are we in the myths? I lost okay. Care. Okay. All right. So we're on number five okay. kids equals no sex study out of a thousand parents found that the frequency of sex did go down with kids. However, certain acts of intimacy, like cuddling, like oral sex, they actually increased. So for me, that's showing that parents are coming to receive pleasure. They're coming to get the pleasure, but they're coming to get exactly what they want in the amount of time that they have it. So this kind of reaches back around to what is it that you desire? What is it that you're craving? What is it that you can mm, just ride the waves of pleasure to, and then just allowing it to happen, taking time, giving yourself that self-care. Let's see. Number six, married people don't masturbate. (laughs) We do. Yes, we do. And if we do masturbate, it does not mean that anything is wrong with our partnership, that anything is wrong with our sex life. If I masturbate, I'm taking something away from my partner that needs to get out the door and out the window. And in fact, if you have those thoughts, I want to invite you into the concept that masturbation is this pleasure practice. It's, it's a practice of giving yourself pleasure that even doesn't involve an orgasm. How about that? Could you imagine starting to masturbate just for the purpose of pleasure without orgasm as a goal. And that is, is just such a freeing way to experience pleasure. Yeah. You still raise the endorphins. You're still on the way. Quick question. Mm -hmm. I heard recently from someone say, and it, it was a woman and I wish I could give the source. If I come up with it, I'll tell you later, but that 
we should not be as reliant on vibrators because it can desensitize the clitoris. And then when your partner does go to give you an orgasm, it's more used to the vibrator and it takes longer and it's more attuned to the vibrator. I mean, I can see the truth in that. There's probably an and. Yeah, I can see the truth in that too. And I definitely did believe that. And I wanted to do some more research on this because I've also been taught in a class that it does the opposite, like that you can't actually remove any of those nerve endings, that you can't overstimulate something. You can be disconnected from the sensation. Mm. You can be disconnected from the pleasure, but... So I, yeah, that's a really good question. And I would like to know more because I gave a furrowed eye at that teacher when they said that, because I'm like, well, when I vibed it for like three hours long, not judging, not judging, not judging. I, would, I would start to hurt is why I reacted. Yeah. Yeah. So. Might've been a big exaggeration, but yeah, when I have that pleasure practice established, my libido is primed. My energy is up. My body is alive and vibrant and awake. And I can hear her speaking to me and my desire for more sex goes way up for me. It's a libido primer. It keeps me it keeps my arrows up and active. So if you do not play with yourself, please use this as an invitation. Amazing. So the six sex life myths of a married relationship. When you are thriving in partnership, when you're thriving in your relationships, when you're thriving in your pleasure, you are going to thrive on all other aspects of your life. That's where the thriving begins. It's where that vibrancy begins. Oh, yes. Okay. So here's the tough question as we're kind of winding down. How and when do we tell or educate young women, young men about how to pleasure a female form? And I'm not a parent. So I asked you as a parent, when is that? And like, what does that look like? So that we don't have all these women. And I'm personally one of those that didn't reach orgasm until 24 by myself, because I didn't even know what anything was. What do you say say to like supporters wanting to do something, but also the naysayers, which I imagine are a shit ton right now. That would be like, no, don't do that. That's inappropriate. Yeah. The conversation needs to happen all the time. Mm -hmm. So all the time is the answer all the time in such beautiful, loving, compassionate verbiage, right? So it's not all the time. Like, what are you doing? This is inappropriate. All the time is in loving yourself. Are you giving yourself love? Are you giving yourself nourishment? So that's that's a big thing that I teach my kids is that when you're doing this, you're actually giving yourself the nourishment that you need to thrive in life. And that's a big difference. So it's not just yank it until you orgasm. It's actually slow it down, breathe. I definitely make my kids uncomfortable by saying things like that. I say, obviously on a regular basis, you don't necessarily have time to dip into a pleasure practice. And that's okay. Sometimes you just need daily maintenance. However, at least once a week, I want you to look at yourself in the mirror. I want you to touch your body with love and your whole body. And I educate my kids that you're the only one that can love you unconditionally. And that's kind of a big lesson that I learned with Tantra that I think once you start learning that at such a young age, you put less of yourself in others. So teaching them that as well as you're the only one that's going to be there for you every single day. So how do you want to show up for yourself? You need to show up with compassion and love and honoring. And then I give my kids lube. I say Santa Claus brings the teenage boys now their full size bottles of lube in the stockings because there's no shame in that game. And what's the difference between lube, toothpaste and deodorant? 
So making it so normal. Also, when you're approaching these conversations first with teenagers, starting with I statements. So we're going to have this conversation about sex. This is how I experienced masturbation. This is when I started doing it. This is when your other parents started doing it. This is when I felt actually pleasure in my body. So especially for young girls, speaking out loud and telling them that they have trauma living in their body is only going to empower them to rise up to who they could possibly be. So having these conversations with compassion and love and actual reality and information, giving them the tools that they need to be successful in, and like you said, in relationships. So now I'm at this stage with my oldest who's in partnership where I am giving him advice on how to please a woman, how to pleasure a woman. And I have to go through the mental ickiness. I check in with myself first, because if I'm going to present this information to my child and my nervous system is going and all my stomach is all twisted up and I'm sweating and I'm, I'm just, they're going to pick up on that. So having, having a little bit of that self-reflection first, knowing how you want to enter into that relationship, how you want to enter into that conversation. I want to come in grounded. I want to come in as a sex positive parent. I want to come in with all of the empowerment that I can give them and actual information, actual body part names, actual diagrams, talking to both sexes about what it is that a vulva does in the process of pleasure. So how she starts out, she might start out small, tight. And this is what I told my 16 year old. I'm like, if she's, if she's giving you verbal consent, yes, but pussy is tight and clamped down and not open then her pussy is a no. So I want you to get consent from both. So even if she's saying verbally, yes, you have consent to touch me there and pussy is tight. Nope. She's a no. So you need to wait. You need to breathe. You need to allow her to open. And that can take 45 minutes to an hour. My 16 year old kid knows this information. He's going to be empowered with this and be a exceptional lover. I'm hoping for his entire life. That's amazing. What an amazing permission that you're giving yourself and your son and your family. You're the parent. And I love what you said. It's not like you just jump in and you ground yourself. Everyone, central nervous systems are grounded and calm. And you approach it from a space where they're responsible to receive, they can receive that information. And it's up to the parent. Like you've decided like, okay, this is the time. And I think it's such a gorgeous conversation to have. So That's amazing. And that's a beautiful conversation that I hope through this episode, you're giving even one parent to explore what that could look like in a safe way for themselves and their kids. Melanie, where do we find you? My website is melaniebonk.com. I am on Instagram at bonkbetter. And any closing remarks for women, for parents of teenage kids that might be starting that exploration? What do you have for us? just to release any stories. It's so hard. We have got this conditioning that's built up from from the minute we were born. So letting go of the story, the narrative, the societal taglines, even your own habitual patterns and dive into what is your empowered truth and what it is that you want it to look like. And then you can start creating that. Thanks, Melanie. Yay. Thank you. This is so fun.